It's us, two people from the Midnight Breakfast Cafe. This is Natalie. <laughs> and Tracy. Uh, Stacy, she's traveling with her family, so hi Stacy. Hi Stacy. Today is Easter, is that right? Well, not yet. Or is it tomorrow is Easter for you? Um, it's weird because I haven't celebrated Easter in many years, but I still think of it fondly food-wise. Like, when I start thinking of Easter morning, I really want, like, a cinnamon roll, which was, like, our default Easter or basically any holiday food. Like, the kind, the Pillsbury cinnamon rolls that you get in the tube, and then you just slather that cream cheese on, and I would always, like, end up eating it out of the cup at the end. Yeah, that's Easter. I've never had that. <laughs> really? You bet. I bet you can still get them at the store. They're delicious. Um, but I remember, I think I was reading... Uh, this must have been Lucy Nisley's book, uh, Relish, where she was trying to bake the perfect cinnamon... No, she was talking about croissants. Never mind. But I'm going to pretend that story applies. She was trying to bake the perfect croissants, and she tried for months and months and months, and she couldn't get it right. And at the end, she's like, you know what's really good? Pillsbury croissants. They taste great. And that's how I feel about cinnamon rolls. I've tried to bake my own cinnamon rolls, and it's always like, there's something not right about this. Why don't I just get those little tubes that are so easy and affordable? And they will be delicious. So what do you think of as, like, Easter candy or Easter food, then? I never had, like, the religious aspects of Easter. Maybe, like, very briefly. For some reason, I think of ham. But yeah, I guess it's, like, the most common dinner food. Like, usually I think of Easter in terms of, like, desserts and candies and Easter toys and baskets. We did the, the egg hunts and the dyeing of the eggs as well. Oh, yeah. As, as a lapsed Catholic, what... What do Easter eggs have to do with anything? They don't. And I'm pretty sure the same is true of even not a lapsed Catholic. No one can explain to you an Easter egg. Well, okay. The story is it has to do with regrowth in the same way that Jesus represents regrowth. Um, so bunnies, eggs, all those things. And I think the true reason is it ties into some like pagan holiday of some kind. Because that's always what it turns out it is. But I actually have not researched this recently. Okay. Isn't that a plot point in American Gods? Yeah. Like, they have the Easter goddess? Yeah. I don't know much about her. Kristen Chenoweth is going to play her, or is playing her, or has already played her in the the miniseries American Gods. I think it's an actual show. I saw the trailer, and I got super excited. She looks real good in that role. That is a perfect role um, for her. That show just looks like perfect casting top to bottom right now. Like, each person I see, I'm like, that's either exactly how I pictured that person, or I should have been better at picturing them, because that's clearly perfect. It just looks so good. Are you scared? I'm excited. That it's going to be, like, gory? or I'm just scared, scared that it will be bad. bad. No, I trust them. I mean, it could be bad, and I'll be disappointed, but I really like Brian Fuller, and I really like everyone who's involved. It would be a real failure on all levels if it was bad. I don't predict I it. wonder how they're going to do... I haven't seen the trailer, but do they show the carousel? Maybe briefly... I don't remember each bit. I remember the characters mostly. I seem to remember seeing a carousel, but maybe I imagined it. I don't know. Um, they mostly are doing, like, character profiles. Like, they show them just sitting there so you can see their costuming and such. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, so it looks pretty cool. And the settings that they do have, like, they had the, the sort of bar scene and things like that. It okay. looks pretty cool. I, I don't know. Like, I'm pretty attached to the book. And then I don't know, like, how some things are going to oh. translate or if they're going to translate at all. Yeah. <laughs> some scenes in particular are very hard for me to picture being on uh, television for the world to see. But I think, I think they're going to do their best. 
Um, but actually, it's been quite a while since I read that book. Uh, I really like it. It's one of my top Neil Gaiman books, but um, it's been I've forgotten enough about it that I'm excited that I sort of get to experience it fresh. Have you ever had a pasty or a pasty? I haven't. I learned about this from Harry Potter. Oh, well, it's also an American Gods. Oh, oh, what do they talk about so in American like, Gods? So, like, you know when Shadow goes to the snowy place? I don't, I don't remember what it's called, yeah. but it's, like, the snowy place. And he eats pasties, and while he's eating, like, a pasty, his, um, his ex shows up. Are we oh. trying to keep this, like, relatively no, spoiler-free? <laughs> relatively, yeah. Okay, well, his, his ex shows up, uh. and then so he, like, in my mind, it was, like, very, there were several descriptions of these steaming hot pasties that he, like, bites into the flaky, like, crust, and, like, steam comes out, and he's, like, eating, like, stew out of the pasty. Yeah. And then, so... That does sound really good. When I went to the UK for the first time, I got a pasty, a Cornish pasty, from the train station, and this is not going to be a surprise, but it wasn't good at all. (laughs) Oh. Like, but I did buy it from a train station. I always wonder, though, like, uh, those types of foods that you get kind of in shitty locations, like, I would put, like, New York hot dogs in the same category. Like, sometimes those are the, the way they're meant to be eaten. Like, you have to ask around to find out if this is the case. But sort of, like, you know, Thai street food and things like that. Like, the ones you get just in some random location, that's, like, the best way to get it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it sounds like this was not a particularly good one. <laughs> well, it was, like, you know, a teenager sells it to you. And, like, and then they're already all cooked, and then they're just, like, in a glass case, like, oh, under yeah. a heat lamp. Hmm. These, these look like empanadas. I don't know what a pasty is, so I'm looking it up right now. I mean, I kind of deduced it from reading, but um, I guess I always imagined it kind of like a like a cookie of some kind, more so than, like, a, a dumpling-style shape. Uh, so when I was reading it, I thought it was, like, a Hot Pocket. Yeah, that's what it sounds like. But, uh... Yeah, I remember them from Harry Potter. They had the pumpkin pasties that I assume were just like these, but with pumpkin filling. There's got to be recipes for that online. There's so many fan cookbooks for everything. Uh, yeah, but actually, like, Harry Potter in general had a lot of mysterious foods for me as a kid. Like, of course, Harry Potter made up some of its own foods, but for me, it was hard to tell the difference between, like, a Birdie Bot's Every Flavor Bean and a pasty. I'm like, one of those is made up. What about the other? <laughs> <laughs> so... On the subject of Harry Potter, I really wanted to talk about it today because I was, like, thinking about fantasy food, and what if, like, Hogwarts food is, like, terrible, and (laughs) Harry only thinks it's good because he was, like, extremely malnourished for the first 10 years of his life and, like, lived in a closet and was probably fed, like, terrible British food. That sounds like, wouldn't the students have commented on it? Like, you know, Ron would be like, God damn, this garbage food is nothing like <laughs> my mom used to make. And all the other Weasleys would be like, yeah, really, tell me about it. Because, you know, their mom's probably a good cook, so. But I also feel like Ron would eat anything. And yeah, so would true. the Weasley boys. Maybe that's just the theme is because the book is from a young boy's point of view. It doesn't matter if the food was good or not because they were just, like, eating as much of it as they could. And Hermione's just sitting there like, damn, I've never had this wizard food, but... I don't think I like it very much. And they're like, Hermione, you're just a muggle. You don't know anything. It's been so long since I read the Harry Potter books. I'm like, did Hermione ever comment upon the food? Or was it just like two 10-year-old boys like stuffing their faces? They always talked about the food like in a descriptive way. 
or like they referred to something they ate, but they never commented on like how good, or if they commented on how good it was, it was probably just to say that it was very good. <laughs> I don't remember, but yeah, it's it's a big part of my imagination of the Hogwarts experience that the food is tasty. If it was just regular school cafeteria lunch or like your little twelve cent breakfast or whatever it was, it's not happy to me. I gotta have it a fantasy food situation. So, what is like your your favorite fantasy food and like do you think like most fantasy food is good or like bad (laughs) i just imagine by default that it's really good like if it required description and the description was not it was bad i imagine that it was good like the fantasy food that by far has stuck the most in my imagination has been the turkish delight from the chronicles of narnia And this is sort of something I ask people as, like, a getting-to-know-you question. Americans in particular, but basically anybody who did not grow up with specific knowledge of this. I asked them, when you read the Chronicles of Narnia, what did you imagine the Turkish delight tasted like? Because no information was given, we were just expected to know what it is, and that it was the most delicious food in the entire world. So delicious you would betray your family. So what did you think it tasted like? So we read um, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe in fourth grade. And then as, like, part of that, I don't know, segment or section, our teacher brought in a box of Turkish Delight. Oh, the mystery solved. And then, um, but I think when I read it, I thought it would taste like magical snow. Oh, that's a really good description. I like that. And I don't, I don't know why I thought it would taste like magical snow. And I, you know, like, when you have memories and they kind of get, all get overlapped, and I think we mm. also watched the cartoon of The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. This is, like, way before the movies, came, the Narnia movies came out with, like, the yeah, real live-action people. For some reason, it, it just, it looked like, like snow candy. And then, mm. I guess, like, I, I must have imagined it to be, like, fluffy sponge sugar. Oh, kind of like a cotton candy-ish, but icy? Hmm. Yeah. Like, cotton candy-ish, but, like a caramel string floss aspect. Oh, nice. Um, that sounds really good. And there's this actual, like, there's a Chinese candy that's kind of like sponge sugar. I will have to look this up later. But my first trip to China was in third grade, I think. So that was like a year before we read that book. And I think that probably influenced how I thought of yeah. it. So I thought it tasted like, you know, magic. And then we got this, like, Super sweet gummy junk with like chunks yeah. of who knows what is in right. it. I, I think this was like setting kids up for disappointment in terms of actual Turkish delight. Like I had a similar experience like when I was a teenager. Like my friend finally visited London and brought me back candy. And she's like, I have for you Turkish delight. And I was about going out of my mind with excitement. <laughs> and it was like the equivalent of like Hershey's bar is to chocolate. This was to Turkish delight. I was later told. It was like, you know, the sort of default convenience store Turkish delight. And so it was like a gummy center with like a chocolate covering. And it just was not tasty. It's not tasty. But I have now seen like fancy Turkish delights and they look really good. Um, For me, when I imagined it, like the best way I could describe it based on like the food experiences I've now had is kind of like a sticky toffee pudding. Like I imagined it kind of warm and caramel flavored and like with sort of like a crispy aspect, but also like a soft gooey aspect. So like you could kind of hold it in your hand like a brownie, but when you bit into it, it was like gooey in the center. And it was like very caramelly, brown sugary tasting, delicious, warm, warm in the middle kind of food. It's like a sticky toffee pudding, which is, I was so excited when I ate a sticky toffee pudding because I was like, it's just Turkish delight. That's my imagination told me. 
Uh, so now that's one of my favorite yeah. desserts. Kind of like your experience with the sponge sugar. Like, you have in your world your actual Turkish delight. <laughs> it's just not the same as the real thing. Um, but I like asking people that as a litmus test of just what their brain likes to eat. Because everyone pictured their favorite food, probably. Yeah, and I'm, I'm wondering if we're giving... His name was Edmund, right? Edmund, yeah. Edmund. I, I wonder if we're giving him, like, too hard of a time because, like, this took place during World War Two, where they, like, sent all the children to the country, and they were pro- probably, like, rationing and stuff. Yeah. And then they're, like, I guess, like, enough mumps of, like, no sugar. Like, any sugar tastes like magic. I know, and it's not just, like, a regular candy. It's, like, magical candy that, like, a, a wizard lady gives you. So I think that, like, I, I, I give Edmund some flack, but there's no way I wouldn't have eaten that candy. <laughs> <laughs> you know, perhaps I wouldn't have, like, sold out my family. I don't know. Maybe I would have, but it's, it's, no one could possibly know. Um, but that's, that's sort of, like, how I like to think of it, though. It's, like, so good you would sell out your family and friends. What is that good? It's got to be something. Well, I, hypothetically, you know, you would never do this because this <laughs> is not real. Yeah. But if you were, you know, a child who had gone years without sweets and this, like, magic lady offered you, like, lumps of sugar would you betray your family (laughs) i don't know about that because i've never liked okay it only took me one try to decide i did not like the taste of just a spoonful of sugar you know at one point i'm like i like candy i like cakes all these things have one quality in common so how about i just eat a ton of that and it just did not work out for me as a child so if somebody offered me a sugar cube and even didn't offer me didn't require anything in return i think i would just be like no i think that's gonna hurt my stomach but maybe as a child, I would have answered differently. I don't know. Especially as you describe a sugar-deprived World War II child. I have no idea. Well, I ate packets of sugar. <laughs> like, uh, frequently? Or is it kind of like you really need a fix and it's just what's there? When, when I was, like, a kid and we would go to restaurants and then they had the little, you know, plastic things on the table with the sugar packets. Mm. And then, like, around that time, I discovered sugar in the raw. So I've never done this with, like, white sugar. Um, I've only done this with, like, crystallized brown sugar. Yeah, that actually sounds pretty good. I might eat some And of then that. so I would just eat packets of that stuff until I got caught and told off. <laughs> and, um, and then I discovered, like, that you could get, like, sugar cubes and sugar lumps. And this was, like, magic. Mm. And I have those, like... Uh... What do they call it? Like the sugar candy that you can use to like stir your tea or whatnot, but it just looks like a really uh, fancy lollipop that looks like minerals. Oh, yes. I used to eat those. Yeah, those I used to eat. Like they can uh, come in regular. different colors too. Mm. And I think they had a little bit of flavoring. Like the times when I ate them, they tasted more, you know, like uh, cotton candy, like a lollipop, but some of them did have like a kind of a strawberry flavor or whatnot to them. Like fakey, of course, but. Yeah, so I guess I'm not above eating just plain sugar. <laughs> yeah, I feel like we're wandering. I don't, what are we talking we about We're talking now? about fantastical foods from universes that don't exist. And then now we're talking about childhood food. Yeah. Which is also magical in its own way. Maybe it's like a contrast thing. Like when you're a kid, you kind of get into these monotonous food cycles, perhaps of your own making. Like when I was a kid, I was just picky. I wouldn't eat anything. But then you read about these fantastical mm-hmm. foods and books, and you're like, well, I don't have anything like that. Like, I wonder if the kids uh, in England read Harry Potter, and it was a little less interesting just because they knew what some of that stuff was. 
<laughs> Same with uh, Chronicles yeah. of Narnia. They didn't have to wonder what Edmund was getting. They were just like, yeah, I know what that is. It's good. Is it still that common as a, a candy? It's certainly the kind of thing you would know of, I guess. But see, this still mm-hmm. happens to me all the time. Like, I'll be reading something in a book that takes place in another country, and they'll just mention some food kind of off the cuff. And I have to be like, whoa, 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 whoa. Let's stop and look that up and find out if that's something tasty. Uh, Did you read, like, the Wild Magic series that Tamora Pierce um, wrote? So there's, like, I think it's, like, the third book, the one with the storm wings in them. Mm. And um, Diane makes noodles. And what happened is they're, like, dried noodles. And then they're, like, wrapped in cloth. And then, like, you cut it open. And as you unravel it, you can, like, dump the noodles into, like, a little pot. And it cooks. So she had ramen noodles in the book, and I didn't notice? (laughs) That's what it sounds like to me. I guess. It's kind of portable noodles. Yeah, it it was. And then I was just like, I was like, (laughs) that was, like, too much for me. (laughs) I was like, no, you can't have modern conveniences. (laughs) You have to, like, make porridge and eat, like, journey bread like other people. Like, what is this shit? But when you think about it, like, it could be that noodles are good travel food. Like, we have noodles now that are so dry that they would break if you brought them with you. Oh, you could bring packaged ramen. But if you brought those, like, soft noodles, then maybe you could, you know, cook them while you're traveling, and it would not go bad before you had the chance to. I have no idea. Like, we have to really explore the concept of travel pasta. Like, for yeah. Lord of the Rings-esque yeah. characters. I really don't remember any of the Tamora Pierce books having, like, especially memorable food. Like, I've forgotten that scene completely. Um, I remember that, like, the, the the Circle of Magic books had a lot of good tea descriptions. Like, they had mm-hmm. a wall in their house that was just, like, made up of tea jars with, like, abstract titles, like, tranquility and uh, confidence. And I'm like, oh, my God, I want that magical tea. Because you know that that stuff probably did give you qualities that you did not possess. Uh, yeah. Maybe this is the third book. Like, the, do you remember the Emperor Mage one where, like, they go to... A faraway place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And she's, like, staying at the palace, and it's all treacherous. Yeah. Yeah, and then they have to eat, like, jellied elephant ears and stuff. Oh, yeah. There was a lot of weird animal stuff in that book, I feel. Like, he had, like, a weird zoo, right? Not a zoo, a menagerie. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. Just a weirdo guy in general. But he really liked birds. Yeah. Yeah, and then he turns into a bird. I kind of don't remember, like, the little details of those books anymore. Like, it was always, like, the Alana books were the ones that I reread and reread over and over again. Like, I liked the uh, Wild Magic for sure, but I kind of, the finer points of the plot have been lost over the years. Uh, yeah. What did you think of, like, the birth control in Alana? <laughs> um, I thought it was, like, a good way to address it uh, in a magical world. Because this is really a question that is never asked, is in a world where they can do magic for everything, is you know, pregnancy the same? Or is there special tea herbs that you can get? Uh, yeah, so I kind of liked that, that they at least talked about it. You know, I've read many fantasy books where they just don't discuss it. The ladies don't get pregnant, but they're they're certainly mm-hmm. eligible for it, and they haven't talked about what it is they're doing. Uh, well, like, now that I think about it, I was like, whoa, Tamara Pierce is being con- kind of controversial. Yeah, or at least, like, progressive, I guess, for, for when those books came out. Although I remember reading that, like, first of all, like, the books were originally, I think, just two books or one long book or something. And mm-hmm. um, 
And her brother was definitely gay in those books. But they were like, we can't have a gay character in some YA books. And they really wanted her to make them YA books. And so they're like, let's just make it like a little subtexty. But I, I definitely got that when I read it, even as a little Catholic kid. Like, I just thought that him and that other dude seemed awfully close, you know? Uh, that was just creepy because that, that was like, oh, Roger, right? It was her brother and her, like, oh. worst enemy. So it was real creepy. Yeah. Yeah, so I remember thinking, like, this is messed up. I don't like this one bit. But it wasn't because he was gay. It was just because it was Roger, the asshole. So. <laughs> uh, was her brother's name Tom or something? I thought it was Alan for some reason. Maybe there's another Maybe. character named Alan. Let me look this up. Well, I, no, because Alana's name was Alan. Because right. Okay, that makes more sense. <laughs> yes, Tom must have been her brother's name. Well, I don't know. Maybe it wasn't Tom. Like, no, that does sound maybe about Tom right. was somebody else. <laughs> that does sound about right. Uh, look it up. Mm, yes, her brother Tom, and they're twins. I totally like just blanked out on Alana, where I was just like, she does stuff. Let's go read Diane again. <laughs> Wasn't it Dane though? D A I. Dane. Oh, maybe it is. Yeah. Her name is Viral. Viraladine Sarasri. I believe, <laughs> which I always found hard to pronounce. Uh, but I like. So her... did you go ahead? Did you pronounce the names in fantasy books, or I? Because I was like, oh, is that character whose name starts with a V? <laughs> okay, let's keep on going. I I would come up with a pronunciation in my own head that was not at all based on the letters on the page. Like if, <laughs> if it was not a name that I was already familiar with. So this extended to regular names I had never heard of before. Like, for instance, I was a big fan of the Animorphs books, but many of the Animorphs had names I had never heard before. Like the character who I called Tobias, which I, <laughs> which I now know is the incorrect version of that name. But I remember, like, what do you guys call him Tobias like this for? Now it's like Tobias is really hard for me to imagine anything but Tobias. But I was like, Tobias. Yeah. I knew the name Toby. This is Tobias... So it made sense to me. That's brilliant. Yeah. Um, and I knew someone who pronounced really, Cassie as Casey, too. So it was really just a lot of animorphs mispronunciations going around. I was a big fan of the animorphs <laughs> when I was in fourth grade. In that, we actually had a little animorph club. Mm. And I was Cassie. Uh, and I wore overalls religiously. <laughs> that is so cute. Oh, my God. I, yeah. I also had an Animorphs club, but all we did was pretend that our school counselors were Yerks and, you know, controllers, whatever those words were, and that we would one day meet an alien and gain our special abilities and eat all the cinnamon rolls our hearts desired. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it was, I don't, I don't remember what we did. There were just, like, three of us, and we would, like, walk around and talk to each other, mm. and, um... And then, like, we could never find a Rachel. We wanted to find a Rachel. Because mm. it was, like, two boys and me. And I won't tell you their names because I'm afraid I'll get them wrong. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's so long ago. Oh, you mean their Animorphs names? It would have to be... No, their real oh. names. Well, you should call them by their Animorph names. <laughs> Jake and Marco. Okay. We had a Jake and a Marco, and they were best friends. Yeah. But we just didn't have a Rachel and we didn't have an Axe. Which was fine because I think Axe is more fun as an imaginary friend yeah. than as, like, a real friend. Because we would try to, like, act like our characters. Oh. <laughs> yeah, that would be life. rough for the Axe character. 
Yeah. I feel like Rachels are hard to come by in life. Like, she was always described as, like, super beautiful and super into fashion, but also, like, the, just the biggest badass you've ever met in your life. And, like, I don't think I've ever known a Rachel in my life. I think Stacy is Rachel-ish. That's true. That's a good point. I guess because, like, I've never seen Stacy have to, like, punch an alien in the face. Like, I don't equate <laughs> that really, but, yeah, stacy has got that. Uh, she's very fashionable, but also, like, very exuberant and she gets things done yeah i think the only thing that's missing maybe is like the sarcasm and i always found rachel to be a scary character you know like she was a little too tough like it always seemed like she was emotionally unhinged a little bit um to really be at that level of willing to do whatever it takes or whatnot yeah i guess i always affiliated with cassie or maybe even a little tobias Mm -hmm. You know, because he was a little loner kid. He couldn't even do morphing right, you know. And plus, I love a tragic character. So when he got uh, stuck in hawk form, that was pretty much, like, it endeared me to him. He just had a terrible life. He did. It was the character. worst. His dad was an alien. His <laughs> mom was died when he was really young. Yeah, he just didn't know her. And then his, like, his aunt and his uncle shuffled him back and forth. Yeah, wasn't it true that they just didn't even notice when he was gone, pretty much? They're just like, where's Tobias? Oh, well. Because yeah. <laughs> there was never, like, search parties for Tobias. or I guess they must have, you know, called the cops at some point. But that's still sad. But what I don't understand is, like, do you remember the book where, um, damn it, what's his name? The Yerk guy. Visitor 3? He, yeah, Visitor 3 gets, like, a human host, or he gets someone to pose as a human host who is, like, Tobias's long-lost cousin because they want to assimilate him or whatever. Oh. I don't remember what the word for it was. And then they decide not to do it because he's, like, Tobias basically pretends to be an asshole, and they're like, oh, that's a waste of a perfectly good year. (laughs) And, like, that's how Tobias avoids being (laughs) yurkified. I don't remember that at all. Oh, my God. That's so funny. It's like, your expires can't be choosers. You're going to need everybody eventually. <laughs> there were so many weird one-off books in the Animorphs series. Like, I remember a lot of, like, the big story points that were dramatic and had, like, long-lasting effects. But a lot of the smaller books were very yeah. ridiculous. Like, do you remember the Helmicrons? No, I do not remember them. The Helmicrons were my favorite one-off villains. And I actually, when I was a kid, I had... I used to draw comics about my friends and I as Helmicrons because I saw them as so bumbling and stupid that they were, like, fun for slapstick comedy, basically. But they were tiny aliens. They had been, like, uh... I don't remember if they started small or if they got miniaturized somehow, but for this adventure, all the Animorphs were miniaturized, and they got put into, like, a tiny Helmicron ship. And it was, like... It was basically, like, it felt like a comic relief book. It was just nothing but nonsense, and these aliens that didn't make any sense except as a punchline, and I loved them. They were so good. I think there were probably two or three Helmicron books, but they were certainly, like, C-list villains. (laughs) I have no memory of this. Maybe this is one of the books that I missed. (laughs) Yeah, come to think of it, I did not read every single Animorphs books, even though I considered myself a big fan of the series. At a certain point, I stopped reading them so Well, much. like, how did you read them? Uh, because I, it seemed like they had, like, a new one every two or three months. It month. was once a month they came out. Yeah, so this is why, like, any book at that time that was being ghostwritten, basically, which I did not know they were being ghostwritten. I would have felt betrayed mm-hmm. if I knew that then. But 
they could pump out like one a month. So it was the same with like Babysitter's Club and like Sweet Valley and all those. And Goosebumps, I think. Even though, if I remember correctly, Goosebumps are not ghostwritten. I think I think oh. R.L. Stein wrote them all. But I'm not positive about that. So. Um, but yeah, when they first came out and I was super into them, I just bought them every month. Like, I remember it was kind of a special event that we would go to the bookstore. It was sort of like, I think if I basically got good grades, my mom would buy me the latest book, which was, that was a pretty big treat for me at that age. Um, but uh, after a while, I just lost interest a little bit. Like, not totally, but to the point where I would just wait until, like, five new ones would come out of the library and then mm-hmm. read them all in the course of, like, a day. <laughs> and then at a certain point, I just, I, I think I didn't read, like, the whole last, like, five or six books, and then I read the finale because I wanted to know how it ended. Um, so yeah. I think the found finale came out, and then I just found this was like back in the day, you know, before Wikipedia and stuff. And then I found like a blog that just mm. told me the ending because I was like, I'm not gonna read them all. Let me just read twenty summaries. Man, that ending was so rough too. Man, I remember like I felt kind of betrayed by that ending. Like I, I thought it almost was so bad that it meant that the series had to continue because there's no way you could leave it like that where everybody was in so dire a situation. Um, but in retrospect, I realized that was just an awfully dark series in general, and to expect it to have a happy ending was just uh, maybe not in the cards for Animorphs. It's basically they uh-huh. take a spaceship and they punch an alien. Yeah, they ram it into the alien. Um, but this, so like, yeah, first of all, all the characters who are in the ship at that time, who I think I forget who they were, um, their fates mm-hmm. are up in the air. And then like Rachel, yeah, Rachel had died, had right? Died. I think Tobias gone. had. And Tobias, gone crazy? like, yeah, like in his grief, he just went full hawk. He went into the woods and was never seen again. Um, Cassie doesn't go, and she's like in a national park on like a Hork Bajor reservation or whatever. <laughs> yeah I always think that that would be a good series to bring back like as a TV show or even like a, I don't know like a cartoon or something but there's so much like first of all tragic things like that happening and second of all just like body horror mm-hmm. in general like the one book that stuck with me is when they morphed into ants and like the ant hive mind took over and they almost got lost in their two hours because they were so busy being ants that they forgot they were people and I was like what a horrifying concept to teach to a child. And actually, I read an interview with J.K. Rowling, not J.K. Rowling, K.A. Applegate, recently, and she said basically the whole series was a ploy to teach children about animals. And I'm like, oh my god, I learned so much about animals from those books. It totally worked. All you needed to get me interested about basically any topic was to throw some aliens in there, and I was in. Aliens and kids with superpowers. That's Do it. you remember um, the one where they have to get like the dolphin morph? Yeah, and, like so Tobias has to like like he has to um get a dolphin and it makes the dolphin even more excited. <laughs> <laughs> Damn. Um There's so many weird things. Did you read the Dark Angel series by Meredith Ann Pierce? Oh, Meredith Ann Pierce, she wrote all those like real emo vampire books. Yeah. Yes, I loved them. So much. <laughs> I think, I think I never read those, but I read the one about the hawk girl. It was called like Hawk Song, I think. Okay. And it was like the hawk girl has to marry a snake guy, and they hate each other. No, first, no, you're thinking of Amelia Atwater Rhodes. Oh yeah, they're not the same no. lady. Okay, so I'm wrong. I've never read these books. 
Tell me about that. Okay, so <laughs> it's like an it's another series that didn't have like a good ending when I read it, but like in retrospect, I was like, oh, I just I just like wasn't old enough because it's like one of the endings that kind of sticks with you forever. Mm. It's about like this slave girl. I don't even remember her name. Um, maybe her name's like Ariel or something. I don't remember what her name is. She's gathering flowers for her her mistress, like her owner's wedding. And her owner gets taken away by the vampire who like just hunts the area. And yeah. um, she's kind of like, so she goes kind of crazy and she's kind of like an outcast because like she let her mistress get taken. And why didn't she get taken in her place? For some reason, she decides to go back and she knows like the dark angel is going to come and she's going to kill him. Oh. And what he does is like he shows up and then he's like, oh, I was looking for you. I need a maid. <laughs> and he just like takes her to his palace and he's like, well, you figure it out. I need someone to um, like weave the the wedding dress for my bride. And then like she it's like they wear a sari. And um, what he does is he, like, drinks their blood and, like, takes their souls and, like, puts them, like, on a necklace. And then, like, once he has, like, the right amount, he's going to be immortal because he's not, like, truly immortal or whatever. And then, um, but he leaves the women, the women are just, like, kind of, they're just shriveled up beings. And he just, like, lets them wander around his palace. Oh, wow. That's creepy. And, um, and then so, like, it's like a trilogy and um of course the girl is also like deeply in love with the vampire the dark angel like she hates him and she loves him and like it's very complicated (laughs) are you gonna read these books i don't know that i will uh you can go ahead go ahead straight through (laughs) okay so she um so she decides that she needs to rescue her her mistress but, like, she doesn't know which one of the, the wraiths she is. And then... Oh. And then, so, she also has, like, this spindle that spins, like, cloth out of emotions. And then, so, like, first, oh. it's, like, horror. And it's, like, a thick, like, sticky thread. But, like, the lightest golden cloth is charity. Hmm. And then, um, so, she's, like, spinning this cloth. And she, like meets like a dwarf who lives in the caverns under the castle something happens and so she has to escape and then like she has like a hero's journey and she like learns how to be strong and confident and like how to fight with a stick and everything's amazing Uh. and then she decides that instead of killing the vampire she's gonna free him because there's like some good in him left and so they get of course they get married and he's like about to kill her and then um but she, like, gives him a potion, and he, like, conks out, and then she, like, cuts out his heart, which was, like, lined with lead. Whoa. And then the dwarf helps her, like, swap hearts. Like, so her heart is yeah. in him, and his heart is in her. And then that happens, and then they're married, and she loves him, but he's, like, a person now. Like, he's not a vampire anymore. Yeah. And he's, like, I gotta figure out who I am, because, like, when he was, like, turned into a vampire, he was, like, 10 years old or 5 years old. He's, like... I, I don't lo- I don't I don't know who I am. And then so she's like heartbroken and then basically in the third book they finally get together, they have their wedding night 
and she gives his heart back like they switch hearts again and then Mm. he's like I love you and I know I love you and she's like god man I gotta like save the universe now so like I I gotta go (laughs) and he's like no I love you and then she's like well man like we've been together for like years I'm sorry that it took you so long but there's like worlds that need saving. I gotta like help the environment. Like I gotta go, <laughs> and that's what. Oh happened. wow, that's a pretty cool ending for like what is ostensibly a romance series. Uh, yeah, I remember like when the Twilight books came out. I kept thinking the whole thing was leading up to some like badass reversal ending like that, and that's why it was so like kind of. I don't know. Had so many parts that were kind of just textbook stalkery creepy stuff like at the end it was gonna be like a real backlash against edward or something but um i like that in an ending when it's like well we had this story and now we're all going on to different stories even though it's true that when i was younger i liked a more pat happy ending and something like that would have infuriated me (laughs) i i've had like a weird relationship with series over my life like when I was younger I really liked uh, books that were just in a forever series where it's like you could always keep going back and there were always more books like kind of the babysitter's club or any of them where there were just like more than a hundred of them located in various places Um, or at least it felt that like that many to me at that age Um, but then when I was a little older I really liked a series with kind of a beginning middle and end or like in the case of the Tamora Pierce books there were four like that was a good amount but now, like, I have lost patience for more than one book. <laughs> I want there to be one book, and that's it. It tells me everything I need to know, and I can dream about it afterwards. But now it's like, if there's more than one book, I'm just like, you better have something really interesting to keep me invested, because the likelihood of me going past the first book is so slim these mm-hmm. days. I, I don't like um, it. It's like, no one got time for this. Yeah. <laughs> Although, uh, I guess, uh, one book I read recently is called The Long Way to a Small Angry Planet. And I loved this book so much. And it's so hard to describe why. I keep thinking of it as, like, a comfort food book. Like, it's basically, like, a a Firefly-esque space travel story. Like, they're not even doing anything particularly interesting on this mission. They're basically, like, uh, they have, like, a really boring task. And all the interesting parts happen in, like, the interpersonal relationships of the crew on the way. Um... And I, it's just so peaceful reading before bed. Like, uh, everyone's so nice to each other, and when they do have some kind of disagreement, they just resolve it in a really nice way. And, like, it's in the future where basically, like, a, a variety of, like, social issues have been resolved without even commenting anymore. So everyone's very open about, like, their sexuality or their identities. Um, and, like, no one's even, like, being a jerk for any reason, pretty much. And I like this book so much that I'm now reading the sequel, which never happens, and I'm very happy with it. That sounds Um, great. And the sequel's kind of like, it's kind of a spoiler to say exactly what it's about, but uh, it's about a side character who is like almost a side character of a side character who like leaves the ship for a certain reason and is on her own adventure in a very weird situation, which is maybe illegal and she could get in trouble for just being herself, kind of. Mm -hmm. Um... But she's trying to get by, and she's got friends now, and the friends are all supporting her and trying to help her figure out her new life. And it's very beautiful. It's just so good. I would highly recommend it to anyone who's looking for, like, just something that's sci-fi, but also, like, relaxing and not depressing at all. What is it so called nice. again? And who is it the by? First book, the first book is called the Wayfarer series, I believe. The first book is called The Long Way to a Small Angry Planet by Becky Chambers. 
And the second book is called A Close and Common Orbit, I think. Um, These are all really great titles. They are. They're long titles, so they're. I don't know if I got all the words, but yes, they're good. I recommend them. I guess that counts as my recommendation for this week. Um, but yes, I would read infinite books in those series just because they're so intrinsically pleasurable. Like, they don't need twists. Like, there's nothing about the story that makes me want to keep reading. It's just the characters and, like, the cozy writing style and, like, space... You just want to, like, stare out a porthole and see stars and think about how nice the universe is kind of books. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> they sound really I good. guess I'm looking for, like, peaceful and optimistic reading right now. I think for obvious reasons, but I know some people, uh, they're looking for things that will help them make sense of the world, like, politically or whatnot, but I can't handle that kind of thing right now. I just want total turn-your-brain-off reading. I just read A Contract with God and Other Stories. Oh, yeah. Will Eisner. Yeah, that's a classic. I had to read that for a comic book class. <laughs> uh, it's really good for, like, what yeah. it is. It was very groundbreaking for the time. But there was, like, this one story that was, like, really disturbing, and I didn't like it at oh, all. Oh, man. I only remember the story, A Contract with God. Um, mm-hmm. What was this disturbing one? So it's about summer summer break and how people are trying to get out of the city and they like to, or they drive or they take the train to this I guess retreat or summer place and um, there's this woman who you know is pretending that she's like rich and then there's this guy who is also pretending that he's rich and oh, they're I like do remember flirting this, yeah. with each other. He finds out that she's not rich, so he rapes yeah. her. Yeah, Jesus and. Nothing bad happens. And she's like, she's totally fine in that, like, her honor is ruined and stuff. But the nice doctor person that rescues her agrees to marry her. And the douchebag rapist, he um, manages to seduce, you know, an ugly heiress. And so it all works out. And you're like, no, that's not (laughs) supposed to happen. Someone needs to get shot in the face. Yeah, I feel like that guy's just got like a real bleak worldview that he likes to put forth from time to time. Like, um, you know, that's not a, a totally false story. That's like something that could totally happen, but that doesn't mean it's the kind of thing you want to read about exactly. Uh, <laughs> I have a certain appetite for bleak stories, but usually I do want there to be some comeuppance, or at least a sense that there should have been comeuppance. You know, if the book's kind of winking at you, like, sometimes assholes get away with it, right? Maybe that's mm-hmm. enough. Like, that that book is kind of representative for me of a time when I used to go to the library, and, like, the only graphic novels they had were kind of, like, very odd ones. Like, uh, I want to say they had, like, some, some crumb graphic novels or something, and I remember reading these and just being so disturbed by them that I'm like, comics are weird and I hate them. I'm never <laughs> reading comic books again. Yeah, I remember I found this one... Uh, it's like a comic or like a graphic novel, I guess, of like urban legends. And this book disturbed me so deeply. Like there's a lot of disturbing urban legends, but here they were just illustrated. And like mm-hmm. I remember reading this and feeling deeply scandalized and being like, the world is a disgusting place and I'm never reading comic books anymore. <laughs> and I don't remember what brought me around. Probably it was Spider Man. <laughs> uh, but yeah, at this age I was just reading a lot of creepy stuff at the bookstore, I guess. Should we start wrapping uh, it up? So next week, Stacy should be back, and we'll have full trio. Do you have any other recommendations? I think that would be my one, because that is what I'm currently reading, is the sequel to that book. So, uh, yeah, that's what I recommend right now, is the Wayfarer series by Becky Chambers. Hmm. Do you have anything this week? Uh, 
Not really. Mm. I watched X Men Apocalypse yesterday. Oh. But I'm not sure I would recommend that. <laughs> well, it looked expensive, and everyone looked like they worked really hard. So I guess it was. It's like okay. But it's like the who, what, now, where? I would just call that movie a must-watch for X-Men fans, but for a different reason for everyone. <laughs> like, if you're like me, you're just delighted by the sheer level of nonsense they achieve. But if you're into that, then maybe you'll just really enjoy it, because it's got a lot of action and excitement. Um, my favorite scene in that movie is when, uh, like, you know, the, the four horsemen show up, and they're first, like, getting their costumes, and they're looking real badass. And for a second, you're wondering, where did they get these costumes? And the very next scene they show is, like, Apocalypse, like, lovingly, like, caressing costumes onto them. <laughs> it's just like, Apocalypse, where did your fashion sense come from? Was that, like, inbuilt into you? Or did you get that as a result of those years in your weird slumber chamber? Like, I don't know. But you really love costumes. Like, you gotta look cool for, like, religions and stuff. That's true. Yeah, but he had, like, a real specific vision for everyone. Like, they weren't just wearing, like, robes or anything. <laughs> it's beautiful. Apocalypse is the true hero of that movie. It's just like Apocalypse. Oh, you know, you didn't have to like try to destroy the world. You could have just been a fashion designer. It would have been great. That's right. People would have worshipped you anyway. We gotta pick up at the top of the next show with X-Men Apocalypse full detail review. Because <laughs> I'm, I'm ashamed we didn't figure this out sooner. If you enjoyed our episode, please rate, review, like, and or subscribe to us on your preferred podcast app. We are also on Twitter at MBC Podcast. Our blog is midnightbreakfastcafe.wordpress.com. Happy brunch and breakfast, everyone.